Hi, welcome to the first podcast of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was put together on the land of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation and acknowledge their traditional owners, past, present and emerging leaders. Over the past decade, the total number of women in prison in Australia has increased by a whopping 77%. Whilst these numbers have been increasing steadily, since the stricter bail laws were put in place, the numbers have grown exponentially, clearly indicating that women have been disproportionately impacted by these stricter bail laws. In 2018, 90% of women were entering prison unsentenced. Whilst government and the community call for a tough-on-crime rhetoric, there's a growing need to highlight the vital importance to respond differently to women in the justice system. Women's offending profiles differ significantly from males. Notably, whilst the most common offence for males in prison is acts against a person, the most commonly recorded charge for women remanded in 2018 was theft followed by drug use and possession. Just over half the women in prison report sleeping rough or staying in emergency accommodation in the four weeks before being imprisoned, and over 40% of women are homeless on their release. 90% had been victims of physical, sexual and emotional abuse, and at least 50% of these had experienced this abuse from childhood. Two-thirds of women in prison report a history of poor mental health and substance use. There's a vast amount of research that highlights the unique nature of women in the justice system and the complex trauma and social disadvantage that paves their pathways. Crime prevention and rehabilitation programs remain predominantly centred to respond to male offenders, failing to provide interventions that are based on evidence around what works to break the cycle of women's involvement in the justice system. But the evidence is clear. Long-term, holistic, person-centred support provides women with the best opportunity to address the multiple factors contributing to their offending. However, there's an absence of such support in the health and community service system. The Living Free project delivered by Stepping Up Consortia in partnership with Frankston Mornington Peninsula Primary Care Partnerships seeks to provide a holistic program response for young girls reported missing and women in the justice system, sharing the experience of those supported to bring about a voice of advocacy for policy and systems change. The Living Free project are taking to the airwaves, from the importance of connection and service system redesign through to a deeper dive into sector reform. This is the first episode in a series that hopes to shine a light and start a conversation on the need to do things differently for vulnerable and marginalised girls and women, rewriting their narrative from a lifetime of justice system involvement to one of hope and connection. Hi, my name's Jana Hargrove. I'm your host and I'm the Women's Outreach Worker for the Living Free Project. Again, welcome to our first episode of Rewriting the Narrative, where I'll be talking with my team members, Lisa Abbott, Living Free Project Coordinator, Megan, Women's Justice Intake and Service Coordinator, Hannah, Young Women's Outreach Worker, and our student, Shaylee, who's currently completing her placement with us. Welcome ladies. Lisa, I was hoping you could start by giving an introduction about the Living Free Project, your motivation and drive to get such a program off the ground and any hurdles you may have faced along the way. 
Thanks, Jenna. Um, I guess we've, um, at working across both the justice and the health sector, we'd always seen a lot of the more vulnerable women falling through the gaps and into the justice system. So there was an opportunity for, from Victorian Legal Services Board Grants Project to do something around justice reinvestment. And that was a great opportunity to bring stakeholders together to say, well, what do we know works and what do we want to see? And, and that was really about that assertive long-term outreach for the most vulnerable women. And how did you go about getting the funding for such a role? Like, was it government funded or did you have to get philanthropic funding? So that was um, the, the first two years was through Victorian Legal Services Board Grants Program. So that was brilliant because that gave us an opportunity to look at what works, what listen to our women and, and hear about what they need. And then we've had a further two years funding through Gandell Philanthropy for our younger girls reported missing and from Ian Potter Foundation to help, I guess, build our capacity. So I think, you know, that's that recognition that we need to do things differently for women. A lot of their pathways into the justice system is from complex trauma and not being able to really access the right services to help support their needs. So it was, it's great because it's a really good partnership approach and a lot of stakeholders that are really passionate about doing things differently coming together. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I work for the program, obviously, so I already know a lot of the stakeholders and things, but can you tell our listeners a little bit more about who some of the key stakeholders are and, and what their sort of relationship is um, with the program? So we predominantly um, have stakeholders that operate in the Frankston Mornington Peninsula and work across health and legal and justice. So Victoria Police, they're huge supporters and, and you know, for our young girls reported missing, this is something that was brought to us by the police that's saying that they want to do more, their hands are tied, they, you know, they know that there are other needs when, when the girls are located and they just return them home and, and nothing's really done. So that was a perfect opportunity to work in partnership. They're the front line. So Victoria Police are really strong partners. Victoria Legal Aid, um, they're represented on our steering committee and we have um, a really close working relationship with the legal reps down here in Frankston. So that's a really important part of our model because it's to make sure that we get that really good legal representation for our women and we can work hand in hand with them. Peninsula Community Legal Centre, they've been partners from the start and they do a lot around family violence and fines as well. So a lot of interest in women and I guess the, their positions in society that are affected by gender as well. So, and then we have Peninsula Health, particularly um, the Alcohol and Other Drug Service, Mentis Assist, which is a mental health community agency, YSAS, the Youth Substance, Youth Support and Advocacy Service, sorry. And we were re we're super lucky to have brought on women and mentoring. So they weren't operating in Frankston when we first started this project, but we met them through Victoria Legal Services Board and now we co-locate and work hand in hand with them. So that's been a really great addition. And of course, stepping up, Consortia who lead 
the program delivery and Frank's to Mornington Peninsula Primary Care Partnerships that works on that more systems level in undertaking the project coordination. So it's quite diverse, the range of partners. Well, thanks very mm. much for that insight, Lisa. If any of our listeners have any questions, are you happy to give out your number to, for them to have a chat a bit more about the program and, and your ideas around it and, and moving forward? Oh, absolutely. And I think that part of this is the opportunity to learn as we go and hear from our women and young girls about what they need. But it's also the stakeholders that are working out in the community with more vulnerable girls and women that also see the need for change. And I think that coming together makes that really strong base for advocacy. So the more people that get on board this movement to call for doing things differently for women, I think the better. So yeah, feel free, 0410-407-034. Happy to take your call. Thanks very much. All right, well, now we wanted to hand over to our superstar student, Shaylee. Shaylee, is there anything that you wanted to say? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> really interesting to do student placement with Living Free because it is such a different model and of approach to these girls that are going missing and the women that need the support. And to be able to see the positive outcomes for these girls and these women is something that... You know, you always hear about all the negatives and, you know, all those kinds of people in particular areas, especially the Frankston areas, got such a negative connotation to it. But to see all the positives that are coming out of it and the people that are really passionate about the work in the area to, you know, support these women and these girls is something that, yeah, was really inspiring. And it's been amazing to be able to see that and to see the work of the workers and the outcome of these girls as well and just how grateful these women and girls are as well because it's someone that's stuck their neck out for them and really believed in them and prior to that they might not have had anyone so yeah thanks Shaylee I just wanted to give a shout out as well to Shaylee for organizing our Instagram page during this time that the podcast is being created as well during COVID-19 during the pandemic. So Shelley, can you just give us the details of that Instagram page if, if some of our listeners want to follow? Yeah, no problem. So the Instagram page is Living Free Project Frankston. So we're trying to update with as much information we can. So in our highlights reel, um, there's all up-to-date information about COVID, but also some activities to do while we're in home. So colouring, baking, if you've got anything you'd like to add to the page, you can either DM us or email through. Um, we're happy to post it up and just keep it fun. And, you know, it's hard being at home. So we want to make an environment that you can go to and have a bit of fun and find something to do as well while we're all locked in our homes. So, Jana, you've been asking us the questions. You've been a women's outreach worker for... Um, a majority of the time the project's been operating. So do you want to share a bit of your experiences? I know there's challenges and as well as some real gems as well. Yeah, um, look, I guess some of the main points are most of our referrals for women's outreach have come through Victoria Legal Aid. So, yes, supporting women um, with their court dates and trying to navigate the, the court system but also other referral pathways and a lot of that work is sort of, I guess, around, you know, just being there when they don't have anyone that they 
have identified as a, as a positive role model or might not have really ever considered something like that? Because we all know accessing services can be a bit difficult for any of us at the best of times. And if you're in a sort of crisis mode where you've been released from prison or, or you've you know, just come out of a family violence situation, accessing services is sort of the, the least the last thing that you want to have to go through. But yeah, we've had definitely had some success stories, lots of success stories, linking women into housing, into drug and alcohol services, into women and mentoring who we'll be interviewing next week. Yeah, lots and lots of positive outcomes. It's but that's, and I guess that that's part of why we do what we do is those really positive outcomes and seeing that the women that and the girls that get that support that that longer term holistic support can actually thrive and and you know i know that you share the same sentiment that it's absolutely inspiring to walk alongside the women whilst they i guess go from strength to strength with just that bit of support definitely and also just looking at it from yes there's a bigger picture but a lot of the time it's about helping them achieve the smaller goals the the achievable goals at that time and being there and being able to engage with them and have the honor yeah to as you say um walk with them and and just sort of and see those small outcomes and see their motivation improve and their self-esteem improve is just yeah very grateful to be a part of it yeah i agree and um and i'm probably going to put you on the spot again but I know that we've often debriefed over the barriers that our more vulnerable girls and women find when accessing services so I guess that was a whole one of the big reasons for the developing a living free project but from my experience the the really rigid criteria for entry into drug and alcohol or mental health services family violence services even and let alone the anxiety about approaching one of those services yourself. I know that there's significant challenges and there's an expectation from the legal system that these girls and women just off you go and go and do it. I don't, I don't know if you want to make any comment about that, Jenna. Or yeah, Jenna. well, I mean, I mentioned a little bit earlier about, about the difficulties of um, engaging in, in services when you've just been in a crisis situation or or remain in a crisis situation and be quite overwhelmed as a young woman to have been in contact with the justice system. I think it's just important to build those networks with those services to be able to help these women get the support they need. I think that's one of our big things that we try to do with Living Free, just to make it easier for these women to access a service or services that, yeah, do have so many so much criteria that you need to follow and and for these complex clients which a lot of our young women are getting them access to services in a timely manner can be yeah can prove troublesome mm. so i think that um and one of the other things is that holistic nature and the whole family response as well so it's not just about supporting our individual girls and women it's about looking at their support networks and looking at how that can also be strengthened so that's definitely we can see really positive outcomes when we approach things like that 
and having the flexibility to do so is is also really great. Yeah, definitely. And we'll certainly touch on that more with Hannah and Megan's interviews. Coming up next. Hi, Hannah. Can you provide our listeners with some insight into what your role is, how you work with young women reported missing, and what it is that you love about the role? No worries. So, hi guys, my name's Hannah. Um, my role at, is the Young Women's Principal Practitioner within the Living Free Project. I work with young girls um, between the ages of 10 to 17 who reside on the Mornington Peninsula who have been reported as a missing person on more than one occasion. The referrals predominantly come from Victoria Police. So in my initial meetings uh, with the program participant, I'll talk to them about their interests and their goals and what they would like to achieve. Uh, I also talk to them about the key areas of need and will uh, make referrals to other support services in the community based on those needs. Uh, the goals might be to re-engage with education, join a gym, apply for Centrelink payments, uh, health checks, obtaining independent living, anything really, and then I just assist them with achieving uh, these goals. So what do I love about the role? Well, I previously worked at Youth Justice for 14 years, so I've always loved working with disadvantaged youth. Uh, I love when I work with a young person who have had future goals, but they've never known how to achieve them or had anyone there to support them. So once they've joined our program, uh, we've worked on their goals and when they are achieved, the great thing is seeing the pride and the accomplishment that the girls feel. Um, and that's what keeps me going in this line of work. So they just need that one person to believe in them and help them. And this is how I perceive my role to be. Lisa, do you have any questions for Hannah? Don't want to throw you on the spot, but in terms of how that might um, reduce the likelihood of them going missing, what are your thoughts on that? Well, a lot of the young girls uh, who go missing, um, they're facing like a range of issues. One main one being family conflict or breakdown. Um, lack of support and structure within the family home. Um, many are either involved with child protection or residing in residential care and they don't have that daily structure or they're not involved in education or, or employment and that they're usually, you know, hanging out with young people who are going through similar situations. Um, so there's lack of, really lack of motivation. So when we work with the um, young girls, uh, well, I like to really listen to them and focus on what it is that they want in their lives um, and then give them that power to achieve those goals. And then once that's done, like it's like a, you know, a ball rolling, you can see the pride and excitement in them and which they haven't had before. So they want to continue moving forward and changing their lives for the better. Thanks, Hannah. I think our listeners will appreciate hearing about your unique and diverse role and how much of an impact your work has in the lives of these young women, their families and their community. Megan, can you provide some insight around your role and why it was created, as well as any barriers and or highlights you've encountered so far? Yes, hi, I'm Megan. Um, so I'm in the fairly new role of Intake and Service Navigator. Um, so this role is responsible for providing a responsive intake and supported care coordination for vulnerable young girls aged 10 to 17 who've been reported missing and women aged 18 plus who are at risk or in contact with the justice system. 
So it's really just to um, ensure that young women are referred, who are referred to our programme are supported to access the most appropriate service at the earliest possible time and then work collaboratively with a range of local stakeholders to develop and strengthen um, referral pathways to improve accessibility for those girls and women and their support systems that may otherwise um, face certain barriers. So yeah, it's a lot of advocacy and um, case coordination, case management and working um, closely with the very competent outreach workers within the project and the coordinator. So I'm kind of a little bit of the in, in between. Um, yeah. So what about yeah. feedback from, um, just as basically a general question, thanks for that, Megan. What feedback have you had from services and other stakeholders, such as police and family? Lisa, maybe you wanna? Yeah, uh, look, we, I think the sort of, we have ongoing communication with our participants, their family and our stakeholders. And one of the biggest things is the amazing dedication of our outreach workers and our intake worker as well. So I think sometimes for the women and the girls in our program, it's about going, well, what feels like going above and beyond, but it's actually not really. It's just trying to walk with them and, the feedback that we've had is that there aren't actually services that have the capacity to do what our project does and what's actually needed for these families. So it's definitely from the legal side of things has been a really great addition to their networks and I guess the supports that they can access for their clients. Yeah. And I think Lisa, just to add into that as well, that it's, you know, it's about kind of like the systemic issues that are there as well. So things that maybe are not as smooth for people going through different um, pathways for support. And I think that's important for like our women to know that like sometimes even as professionals, we we kind of struggle and, you know, that it's it highlights the difficulty that it must be for somebody with complex issues to get that support so it's it's a kind of that collaborative piece between services working together and for our women knowing that we're kind of we're all in it together as well a oh, bit. absolutely and i think that the service system is so difficult to navigate that it sometimes needs that person that professional walking beside and then to you know when you're faced with all these legal matters as well or police matters it's sometimes so overwhelming that having an additional person there in your in your corner can sometimes be what's needed that's a theme that we touched on earlier in the interview and it's sort of come back around hasn't it when you ask about what the participants say i i know you know their feedback in terms of their evaluation and some of the work that you've done jana in just being that person to help them navigate some of these really complex situations that it's un, it can be really really impactful and really difficult to in, to describe just how important that person is Well, that's all for today's episode of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System. Thanks for listening and thank you to my colleagues Lisa, Hannah, Megan and Shaylee from the Living Free Project Frankston for joining me today. 
Join us next week when we talk about the importance of connection, the role of pro-social connection, and we'll be joined by special guests Sarah and Trisha from Women and Mentoring. Wow.